For he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them out by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wide heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Thank you, Megan. How about if I pray for you? Father in heaven, we thank you for Megan and for the other teachers at Ali. Father, we uh, praise you that this school option has been created here in Antalya and is uh, going forth and growing and uh, blessing uh, the families who participate. And uh, we pray that you'll bless these teachers who are uh, working wholeheartedly uh, for salaries that would be uh, less than they could get elsewhere, no doubt. But uh, we pray that you would uh, give them blessings upon blessings because of their service. We thank you for your word and uh, for how it, uh, just the reading of it, nourishes our souls when we listen uh, and uh, prepare our hearts to learn from it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I, uh, well, we opened some doors and windows here and thinking that it might be getting a little stuffy in here. If it gets too cool on the edges over there, feel free to close these windows or if uh, it gets too noisy, feel free to close them. Well, from about uh, 1840 to 1869, the Oregon Trail was a heavily used one-way dirt road across North America from east to west. Now, does anyone know why in 1869 this road suddenly uh, had much less traffic on it? Railroad, yeah, transcontinental railroad was finished. But until that year... Uh, there was a, a heavy flow of traffic from east to west uh, across this continent. Just as there was uh, in centuries past, uh, Turkic peoples migrating across Central Asia from east to west uh, to countries like, uh, to lands uh, like Anatolia. They moved uh, across the North American continent in order to settle in or around Oregon and uh, to farm or mine the land and to raise their families. Everyone who traveled the Oregon Trail carried a dream, but relatively few of them really understood or uh, appreciated just how difficult that journey could and often would prove to be. Historical records tell us of one party of pioneers on the Oregon Trail 
that suffered from delay after delay. One wagon after another broke down, causing the, the whole group of travelers to wait for repairs to be done. And with every repair, uh, impatience intensified, as you can imagine. And to make matters worse, it was an extremely hot summer. And so drinking water became scarce along the road, and uh, it was difficult to find enough grass for their precious animals to eat. Fretfulness gave way to fury, and then as their optimism died on the trail, uh, fury gave way to a sense of futility. And one day, when circumstances were at their worst, the leaders of the party promised the travelers that that evening they would have a meeting, and anyone and everyone could uh, share their grievances, and uh, they would uh, discuss uh, all the complaints that came out, and then they would decide together what changes might need to take place before continuing their journey. As darkness fell that evening, the leaders built a fire, and quietly, gloomily, the travelers all gathered around that fire and sat down. And everyone wondered who would be the first complainer to speak out. The St. Paul Union Church has had such times. For example, back in April of 1999, the month that initial construction began on the St. Paul Cultural Center, I was in a situation in which our architect builder and a partner of mine in the project originally were pressuring me to take one course of action and the church council of the St. Paul Union Church at the time was requiring me to take another course of action. And I finally gave in to the persuasion, or really to the coercion, of uh, the architect and the partner. And that same day, a special church council meeting was called, and when the church council members heard that I had given in to the course of action demanded by the architect and partner, it was as though the wagon wheels came off <laughs> the St. Paul Union Church. The council chairman, a high-powered British businessman named Roy Radford, whom a few of you no doubt remember, and another councilman named Brian Butler looked at one another, stood up, and walked out. And I think a third person walked out too, although I, I'm inclined to think it was Patricia Foster, but uh, something tells me that Patricia Foster wouldn't have walked out. <laughs> she wasn't that kind of a lady. But, uh, but that meeting suddenly came to an end. And as a young, inexperienced pastor, I thought that the death of St. Paul Union Church had come. I even doubted God's ability to deliver us through that splintering situation. 
But he did. He did, and he always has. God has always delivered this church through crisis after crisis. I've invited two longtime members to share uh, similar divine deliverances that uh, we've had over the years from their memories. And so uh, Mary Robbins is going to come first, and then Carolyn Bulja. And each of them is going to share uh, a similar story to the one that I just shared, related uh, stories, all. And uh, Mary will be first. So Mary, if you don't mind holding a mic, I'm not used to this, but uh, it's actually quite nice. You really get your voice out there, if you hold it closely enough. A lesson indeed. I had holidayed in Antalya on a few occasions um, when I arrived in October 1996 for a quick visit. However, God had other plans, and I was asked by a friend to stay and look after a study group which she had set up. My mum's first reaction was complete disbelief. Where would you go to church? Luckily, through the children I was teaching, I was encouraged to attend the Kishlahan Hotel. This in itself was an experience. You have to understand, I come from East Anglia, where they have big medieval stone churches and organs. So here I was going to the Kishlahan Hotel. Uh, I was welcomed warmly by the very same dear English Patricia. Uh, and here was the early International Church of Antalya, meeting in public. But suddenly, we were too visible. And the chief of police required Pastor James to stop. Being naive at the time, I hadn't realized that there was a police presence at every service. What next? An underground church? God had bigger and greater plans for Antalya, and through his faithful servants, James and Renata, it was find a building or a plot of land. Either way, a lot of money was required very quickly. There were lots of discussions and arguments and much work to either secure the church next door, which was in a very, very poor state at the time, or that plot of land, not where I am, that plot of land. Eventually, through generous donors, a lot of hard work, the first plot of land was purchased, and everybody was very excited. God never said that the path would be easy, only if we trusted in him that he would be by our side. The renter who ran the locanta on the land refused to live, leave. He had a business to run. The church project was stalled yet again, not just for a few weeks, but months and months. In God's time and after a big payoff on the Saturday, we were able to get on the land to plan an Easter celebration for the next morning in the garden. God has an amazing sense of humor. Along came the renter to share in our joy with a huge pot of homemade lentil soup. I thank God for his steadfast love. Without this church, I wouldn't have stayed so long. Yeah, amen. You know, 
telling history through our eyes um, is particularly meaningful to us. Um, and I hope the, the meaning also gets conveyed to you all as well. If you've always had something, it's difficult to imagine not having it. But in 1995, this place wasn't here. There was no public place for you to go to to, have, to attend a church service in Antaya. But God is great. And the Lord moves in mysterious ways and uses imperfect, broken vessels, cracked pots, even leftists, to accomplish good for the sake of Antalya and the glory of God. <laughs> God has been faithful in providing a public place of worship in the city of Antalya for 22 years now. And God has enabled the leadership of our church to persevere in the face of disappointments and discouragements. What could be worse than renovating your church building only to face incredible bureaucratic red tape? <laughs> there are newcomers that are familiar with that. <laughs> and the possibility of not being able to reopen the renovated facilities for services. But God provided. And he provided two different cafe bars. Yes, folks in America from the Bible Belt, we met in bars. <laughs> the first place was called Badem Alte. Um, and to me, as I said, you know, history is, this is from my perspective, I see a divinely steered, a divinely guided, a divinely woven connection. Arrangements to use this place for church services were made without any involvement on my part. But Badem Alta, again, unbeknownst to me, turned out to be run by a man, uh, by the son of a man who had been my brother-in-law's next-door neighbor in Elmala many years ago. And the man was originally from a village near Elmala, and the name of that village in Turkish is Choban Isa, which in English means Shepherd Jesus. I, I think there's a divine connection. The second location was also arranged without any involvement on my part and was a cafe bar called the Son Nocta, the last stop. It's now, it's diagonally across the way here. It's called Dolma Mehani now, yeah, right. The Son Nocta was managed by a former leftist uh, and an acquaintance of my husband. More divine connections? And I was so grateful that Selchuk allowed the church to meet in the upper room of his establishment that I hugged him. It's a very American thing to do, but I couldn't control myself. I hugged him uh, in the middle of the, of the street, and I thanked him with tears in my eyes. For all these years, 22 years, God has been faithful to the congregation of the St. Paul Union Church, and I am deep deeply 
grateful for his constant faithfulness. Amen. Okay. Congregation. In that bar, we doubled our congregation. <laughs> uh, thank you, Emil. <laughs> I don't know what the implications of that are. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a that's a great addition, and uh, maybe if we had had Carolyn or Mary preach, we would have tripled it. <laughs> Thank you. You two could have been preachers. It did a great job. Thank you uh, so much. Well, these examples of God's deliverance of SPUC through times of crisis testify to what has been called the invisible hand of God at work behind the scenes, and you could all give uh, stories of testimony to God's invisible hand working behind the scenes. And God's acts of salvation, as I will explain, flow from his steadfast love. They flow from his steadfast love. The same is true in your life, friends. I would imagine that every one of us could come up with stories, personal stories that testify to what you believe had to be the sovereign power of God at work in your life and for your sake. And as we shall uh, share and reflect upon these stories, and I hope we do uh, obey the, the, the injunction given in verse 2 of our passage to let the redeemed tell their stories. You know, we're called to tell our stories along this line. And as we share and reflect upon such stories, it's important to understand and remember that it's not due to our own goodness or worthiness that God acts on our behalf. Rather, God's saving acts flow always and only from his steadfast love. And we are called to give thanks. Save us, Lord our God, says Psalms 106, verse 47, right at the end of that psalm before this one. Save us, Lord our God, gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. That is how book four of the Psalter comes to an end. And with Psalm 107, book five, or the last book, of the Psalter begins. And this verse in uh, Psalm 106, verse 47, it says, the prayer is to gather us from the nations, O Lord, that we may give thanks. And then in Psalm 107, verse 1, uh, we're commanded to give thanks because these nations have been gathered or we have been gathered from the nations. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That verse of Scripture, friends, is 
not only worthy of application, but it is worthy of memorization. And that verse introduces not just the theme of Psalm 107, but really the theme of the whole book five of the Psalter. In fact, in Psalms, and particularly in verse uh, in book five of the Psalter, this word chesed, which is in verse one, refers to the love, we'll talk about it more in a minute, occurs uh, some uh, 125 times. In the rest of the Old Testament, it occurs altogether just 12 times. And so this really is a theme word of especially book five of uh, the Psalter. And this word in uh, Hebrew is chesed, chesed. And there are just under 9,000 ancient Hebrew words in the Old Testament total that are, that are used. And uh, this word, hesed, is uh, certainly ranked in the top three in terms of importance. It's a very important Old Testament word, as you can imagine. The meaning of the word is so rich that it's, it's difficult to translate. For example, in Psalm 107, verse 1, it's simply translated as love. But in verses 8, 15, 21, and 31 of Psalm 107, where it turns up again and again, it's translated as unfailing love. And then in verse 43, where it shows up yet another time, it's translated as loving deeds. And these are all translations of the term, uh, revealing a little bit more of its, uh, of its meaning. So hesed, or chesed, is the active, unfailing, covenantal love of God. It's based on his covenant with his people. And it is the spring of his compassion and the source of his salvation. Chesed. You and I are here today because God is chesed. In the same sense that, according to the author of 1 John, God is love. That's not to say that God equals love. It's, it's not a mathematical equation that we're talking about. But he is a God who responds to the needs of his people. And the reach of his redemption is incomprehensible. It really is incomprehensible. And uh, by God's loyally loving acts, uh, the core of his character is revealed. And uh, no menace or mess that his people find themselves in is too difficult for God to, to manage and to make right. God can take care of whatever his people face. Therefore, the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. 
That word redeemed is generally used in the Old Testament with regard to the exodus from Egypt or with regard to the uh, Babylonian exile. And in Isaiah, this word redeemed uh, takes on a, a different use. It becomes a, a name or a title uh, of God, the Redeemer of Israel. It becomes a, an adjectival uh, noun the Redeemer uh, of Israel, especially in chapters 43 through 49 of Isaiah. But here in Psalm 107, this verb redeem is used to, uh, in a a -a one-of-a-kind way, it's used as a passive participle. And we read the redeemed of the Lord. Or better yet, uh, think of it as those redeemed by the Lord. That brings out God's action to actually redeem his people. It says uh, he is the one uh, whose loving action redeemed them from the foe and gathered them from the lands from east and west and north and south. Now, metaphor is most likely at work even here. This chapter is really quite filled with metaphor. And even those terms... uh, North and south, east and west, okay, they are directional, but uh, often the terms for north and south were metaphorically uh, applied because north, zafan in Hebrew, uh, often referred to the uh, threatening nations north uh, of of Israel, Uh, nations like Aram and Assyria. And even to uh, Babylon, which was east of uh, Israel. And the term for south, Yam, often was, uh, or at least in certain occasions, was used to refer to the sea, the chaos and the dangers related to the sea, perhaps because the Gulf of Aqaba was below Israel. But in any case, that was sometimes used as, as a metaphor for the sea and its chaos and its dangers. And so even from these metaphorical applications of Zephon and Yam, God was able to deliver his people. And in the remainder of this psalm, the author describes four different situations, really four types of situations in which the Lord works deliverance for the people who cry out to him. Megan just read about one of these situations in verses 4 through 7. We really didn't have time to read them all. But the foes here in uh, verses 4 through 7, that uh, these wanderers, the word for wanderers is used, not travelers. So these are wanderers without a, a clear destination, or at least perhaps travelers who lost uh, sight of their destination. And their foes are hunger and thirst. These wanderers have lost their road. They don't even have a path to follow. They are helplessly lost in the desert, stuck in desperation. And so they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. This phrase, too, by the way, occurs again and again in Psalm 107. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and God then 
delivers them from their distress. The cries of God's people stir the love in God's heart, and he acts on their behalf. Now, at first glance, you, a 21st century uh, reader of this psalm, may think to yourself, what does this ancient psalm have to do with me? After all, I've never been lost in desert wastelands, wandering about, not knowing where I was going, and I've always been able to find a city in which in which I could uh, settle and dwell. However, the fact is that many of our Christian brothers and sisters in the world today and many God-fearing migrants and refugees can relate very well to this kind of an image in verses 4 through 7. They know what it's like to wander, to not be able to find a city uh, in which to settle and dwell. And uh, even if we ourselves can't relate to that kind of a, a situation, we all can relate, uh, without a doubt, to uh, our lives ebbing away the reality of our lives ebbing away in verse 5. That's something to which every one of us can relate, I think, here. I know I sometimes feel the effects of old age and I'm, or older age, and I, I realize that I'm, I'm no longer uh, a teenager or 20-year-old anymore, even though I sometimes think like one and try to act like one. Renata could tell you stories of that. But all of us uh, at times are very much aware of our lives ebbing away. But God delivers still. He delivers still. And he is no less committed to his covenantal love for human beings than he was when that covenant went into effect. He's no less committed to it. God is faithful still. And through our Savior, Jesus Christ, he can deliver us even after our lives succumb to death. He is able. He is able. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. We all have wonderful deeds to proclaim. Amen? Just that term for wonderful deeds is so rich, but I'm not going to take time to address that today. But nipolot, we all have such wonderful deeds to proclaim. And here is the conclusion of it all in the, the genre of wisdom literature versus 42 and 43 really give the conclusion of this psalm. The upright see, that is, they see God's loving deeds, and they rejoice. But all the wicked shut their mouths. They don't have anything to say. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the chesed. 
of the Lord. It should be noted that the Hebrew word for heed does not mean just pay attention to. We sometimes use it only in that way. Heed your teacher. Uh, Even for us, it's rather an old-fashioned word. But heed takes mere attention one step further so that these things are to be called to mind actively, actively called to mind and treasured and treasured. Let us not forget, friends, or ever cease to value and to voice the wonderful deeds that God has done for us and for this body of believers, the St. Paul Union Church. There, all those travelers of the Oregon Trail sat in embittered silence around a blazing fire, wondering which of the grumblers was going to speak out first. Finally, a man stood and began to speak. But he didn't say what others expected to hear. Instead, he said, before we air our complaints, don't you think that we should at least first thank God that he's brought us this far with no loss of life, with no serious trouble from the Indians, and with enough strength left to continue our journey? The others agreed. The man then led them in a simple prayer of thanks. And when he'd said amen, he sat down. And after that prayer, all that could be heard were the crackles of the fire and the cries of a distant pack of wolves. There was only stone silence around that fire because none of the travelers had any grievances that they felt were important enough to voice. Thankfulness does that to us, friends. Thankfulness enables us to recognize and to appreciate the tender, loving mercies of God. God's saving acts constantly flow. They constantly flow from his steadfast love. Amen.